We're going on through Genesis into chapter 26 tonight. A little bit more about Isaac. I'm going to go ahead and read through it. We got a few cross references and they're up on the board and hopefully it helps you to kind of get there. But let's just read through chapter 26. So there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. And I will give your descendants all these lands. And your seed, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, Well, she's my sister, for he was afraid to say she is my wife, because he thought lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she was beautiful to behold. We remember that story. And now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she's your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of our people might have soon lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all of his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. And for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. And now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerer and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names which his father had called them. And so Isaac's servants dug the, in the valley and found a well of running water. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And so he called the name of the well Esek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also, and so he called that one Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and, he, and they did not quarrel over it. And so he named it Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him at the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Well, then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. Well, you are, you are now blessed of the Lord. And so he made them a feast. And they ate and drank. They rose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away. And they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they, would, they had dug. And said to him, We have found water. And so, so he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. 
In verse 34, when Isaac was 40 years old, he took wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri, Bereri, and the, the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Chapter 26. Again, there's famine in the land, just like it was with uh, Abraham. Only God says, don't go down to Egypt. Just uh, you know, stay in the land that I'm going to give you in verses 1 and 2. But in verse 3 and 4, once again, or, or for the first time really here now, the Lord confirms his covenant with Isaac. Uh, the covenant he made with Abraham is now given to Isaac. Uh, going back to Genesis 17, 19 through 21, God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old and New Testament. But this was that unconditional covenant. Remember, we talked about the different kind of covenants, one where each guy gives up a little bit, or one where if you blow it, then this is what I'm going to take from you, kind of like what the bank does. You you make your payments, and if you stop, then the covenant we got is I'm going to come take your house, or some such. But this was an unconditional covenant. In other words, God made the covenant, swore by himself, because he could swear by none greater. Remember when uh, Abraham laid the pieces of the uh, sacrifice, the animal, out, and he drove away the, the birds to keep him away, and he fell into a deep sleep, and the Lord passed through himself. And um, the Lord made the covenant. He swore by himself. It was an unconditional covenant. And now that covenant's established with Isaac, again, to multiply his descendants. And the covenant is also, as we read, specific to the land. Uh, and, and just like Abraham, it's still unconditional. Uh, verse 24, kind of, we'll get there in a little bit, but the Lord appeared to him and said, same night, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake if you do this and that and the other thing. No, just because he said, I am God. I am making this covenant with you. It's based on God's faithfulness. So in verse 5, though, he says it's because he obeyed his voice. Um, Abraham. He kept his charge. The word charge is to keep guard, to follow through on the function, the obligation, the service, the watch. Um, that word charge. Commandments, we know is commandments. And, you know, when God told him to go and take his son Isaac and sacrifice, he did not withhold. And we talked about that until an angel stopped him. Statutes our ordinances, limits, and enactments, prescribed things to do. And laws, the word law there is Torah. And from that, they call the first five books of the Bible or the books of Moses or the Mosaic law, they call that the Torah, even to this day. And what that means is simply directions, instructions. And the word, again, is used later for the law of Moses. Now, all of that did not make Abraham righteous. Remember what made Abraham righteous? His faith. He says, uh, your faith has been accounted to you as righteousness, Abraham. And the Lord saw his faith in his actions, but his actions did not make him righteous. His faith did because he believed the Lord. And so even though he obeyed his voice, kept charge, commandments, statutes, and laws, that's not what made him righteous. Uh, but his obedience was the reason that God could bless him. You know, all those things we do, we obey. We want to keep the charge. We want to keep his commandments. We want to obey the statutes and all these things. They don't make us righteous, but they allow him to bless us. And it says that's how he was allowed to bless him. And so faithful. And, you know, faith is in that finished work for us, right? That finished work on the cross. It's what saves us, washes us. And that's what's accounted to us as righteousness. All right? so, but it is in obedience to God, obeying his voice, being led by the Holy Spirit, that's going to bear fruit. That's what honors God. That's what blesses him. And that blesses us and it blesses those around us. Remember he said to Abraham, I will bless you and I'll bless, you will be a blessing, it says. And so he blesses those around him. And, um, you know, his faith was accounted to him for righteousness if you want to go back to Genesis 15, it kind of going to apply to as we go through tonight. If you remember, uh, we talked about verse 6 being 
probably the most important verse in the Bible, and that's uh, my opinion. It's not necessarily the the hard, cold truth for for everything, but you know, starting there and going through sixteen. And he believed the Lord, and he was it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse six. And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And so he said to me, bring me three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, turtle dove, and young pigeons. He brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle, placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came, Abraham drove them away and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and, the, and behold, a horror and a great darkness fell on him. And he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And we're going to come back to that. Also, the nation whom they serve I will judge after they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried at a good old age. And then it says, In the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This is the covenant that God made with Abraham. It was unconditional concerning descendants, concerning the land, and where he now sojourned. He was um, that, that promised seed uh, in all, and to bless all families and all nations of the earth. Now, later, God's going to look back on this covenant. I want to look at some passages, the next uh, bunch of them on the board there. We're going to kind of go through them a little bit and make a quick comment. Because God looks back on this covenant. You know, again, this is an unconditional covenant. Who's the one keeping it? Well, the Lord's keeping it. And uh, because he's uh, keeping it from his side of things, it gets brought to his remembrance. And it gets, uh, and we'll see even how Moses and David and others will bring it to God's remembrance or ask him to remember. Leviticus 26, and that's verses 40 through 46, he's recounting for them, uh, you know, when they come out of Egypt and they go into the land, um, they will blow it. They will make mistakes. But... Uh, He's going to talk about what he's going to remember and why. And he goes on to say, you know, those that are left, you know, will waste away in their iniquities in your enemy's lands. In verse 39, also in their father's iniquities are with them and they shall waste away. But notice verse 40, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness, which they were unfaithful to me, and they also have walked contrary to me, and that also I have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. And if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. Then I will accept their guilt because they despised they're my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statues. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor will I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord, and these are the statutes and judgments and the laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. He remembers his covenant when Israel repents. In Numbers 32, and again he's recounting um, as he's bringing them through uh, the desert. And verses 11 through 13 he says, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, 
the Kenizzite, Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation had, that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. Well, God kept his promise, and he kept his covenant. But he had brought them to the promised land in, in about a month's time. But they saw the giants, they, they saw the grapes, they were huge. They brought back, um, you know, a bad report. They were full of fear. And they thought, the Lord's brought us here just to be killed by these giants. And because of that, those that said that, the, those that were 20 years, he says, and, uh, and older, they saw the promised land, but because they refused to believe, they were not allowed in. None out of Egypt that rebelled would enter in. And that story is from Numbers 14 when they, when they did get there. Um, if you may put that in your notes. But we'll spend a little bit of time in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1. Just to point out a few things about that covenant and what it means to, to God and how he remembers it when, it when the time needs it. Um, Just chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains, and in the lowland, in the south, on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And I have set the land before you to go and possess it, the land which I swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them and their descendants after them. A couple pages to the, to the left. The Lord swore. You know, the Lord swore, the Lord swore an oath uh, to them in chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. He says, So it shall be when the Lord God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you've eaten all and are full. Well then, beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now they're no longer sojourners. Remember Abraham and Isaac? And then we'll read as we go on through Genesis. They were sojourners. sojourners. They slept in tents. They went and camped. Remember, we talked about uh, in months past, uh, Nimrod built um, the city of Babel, laying one brick upon another. And instead of spreading out and filling the earth like he commanded them to, they start building cities against what the Lord had said. While Abraham and Isaac and Jacob sojourned in Israel. So now they're no longer sojourners. They were brought in. They inherited the cities, the houses, the wells, the vineyards, and the trees. That was the covenant. In chapter 9, a couple more pages, verses 1 through 6, he's bringing them across the Jordan. And he wants to go over once again with them, you know, why he's honoring after all that rebellion. Here, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, descendants of the Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you, and it is because, and it is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess the land but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them up before you, and that he may fulfill the word which he spoke 
which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, not their righteousness. It was for the, the wickedness, you know, had, remember we read earlier, it was after 400 years, Abraham, back when the, uh, then finally when the, the sin of the Amorites is full, when, it, when it's become mature, it's not in, in, uh, because of their righteousness. But uh, as we saw in 15, verse 16, um, chapter Genesis 15, 16, but he says the reason is to perform what he swore to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Moses continues to recount their rebellion the rest of that chapter, chapter with, with uh, the golden calf and, and uh, that God would completely destroy them. But down in verse 25 through 27, it's interesting to see what happens. The Lord's saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I've had enough. I'm going to destroy them all. And Moses says, thus tells the story, he's recounting the story. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness of their sin. And he goes on to say, lest the land from which he brought them should say, because the Lord is not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them and has brought them out to kill him in the wilderness. You know, something that oftentimes we can pray and that more than anything I desire that I would never stumble anybody by misrepresenting the Lord to anybody. And here's uh, Moses, you know, spending all this time. Earlier, earlier he talks about if, even if he had to give up his position and even his uh, name in Israel and his salvation, he would, like Paul says, I would even give up my salvation for the sake of my people Israel, for the sake of his kin, his kinship. And... Um, um, turning Joshua, but it's interesting bringing to her Lord's remembrance the covenant He made, and that's that's really in a nutshell what happens when you and I come to the Lord when we lay things at the cross, because that's that's the covenant. That's where you and I were washed white as snow. That's where you and I were redeemed, and now because of that, we go to the cross where that covenant was ratified on the cross. We can bring everything to that place. And, um, but Joshua 24, just a couple of verses. How long was the Lord laying this out and preparing for this, this covenant? Just two verses, two and three. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river, in old times, and they served other gods. But then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. And so even before they left Ur of the Chaldeans, um, the Lord had been putting this together. David, if you want to turn to Chronicles, First Chronicles 16, the Lord had established David as king, and David had wanted to bring the ark, the presence of the Lord, to the tabernacle, which he had brought to Jerusalem, because he knew what God had said he was going to do. And God had raised him up and made him king. Verses 7 through 22, he says, On that day, David first delivered this psalm, and this is also Psalm 105, um, into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. And he, he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. And seek the Lord in his, and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders 
and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the words which he commanded for a thousand generations, a covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, and he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as an allotment of your inheritance. And when you were few in number, even indeed very few, talking back about when Abraham went and Isaac, and you were strangers in it. And when they went from one nation to another and one kingdom to another, like Abimelech, and they, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones and do, do my prophets no harm. When David brings the ark to the tabernacle, he looks to the Lord's covenant. He holds, he holds his covenant up because it's the unconditional covenant. It's so important why we should do that with the cross in our lives. You know, the, the one thing we want to bring before the Lord is Jesus and, and uh, to always look to him for any and all of our own righteousness and, all, and when we come to him. And finally, we're talking about the land a little bit here, as you can see. There are those that would say that in 70 A.D., you know, the abomination of revelation, the abomination of desolation took place, and uh, that Israel was no more. It's all the church now, nothing else. The church now inherits, or uh, it's allegorical, all of these prophecies about uh, the land, all, the book of Revelation, and all, and they would say, well... We talked about it just, just now, saying this was an everlasting covenant, and it was about the land. He said this covenant was forever. In chapter 33 of Jeremiah, verses 19 through 26, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will not be day or night in their season, I imagine somebody's trying out there, some mad scientist, you know, who knows, Elon Musk or something. But that has not happened, right? And then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne with the Levites, the priests, and my ministers. Now, uh, let's just go ahead. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the, measure, sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who ministered to me. And, um, you know, God did also make a covenant with David that there would never fail to be a descendant of his sitting on the throne. Well, about a couple hundred years, I don't know, three, four hundred years, um, or it wasn't it, the last king that ruled. It wasn't three or four hundred years. It was the lifetime of a king, a descendant of David's, even though Rome had taken over, they had their kings, Herod and all. And, but the, the descendants of David did have a king on the throne, and then it stopped. This prophecy, every Jew should know, Orthodox Jew should know, that this prophecy was broken at the time of Christ, if Jesus is not the king of the Jews. But in fact, he was king of the Jews. And we know that because he said he was, indeed. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. But in fact, when he was asked, and, uh, and Pilate put that on the, the label and stuck it on the cross. And then since then, who's been the king of the Jews sitting on the throne of David? Our Lord and Savior, right? And so moreover, the word of the Lord in 23 came to Jeremiah saying, Have you not considered what these people have spoken, saying, Two families which the Lord has chosen, he has cast them off. Like I was saying, these, these people that say that Israel and the land is no more. It's all about the church now. Thus they have despised my people as if they should be no more a nation before them. And thus says the Lord, if my covenant is not, is not with the day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinance of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob my, and David, my servant, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will cause their captives to return and have mercy on them, 
speaking of God's covenant with David, but he also says descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about the covenant that we're talking about tonight that was um, established now with Isaac, um, as the Lord said to him. So back in Genesis 26, the application, and again for us with this um, about Israel, um, first off, you know, the Bible says, those that bless thee said to Abraham, I will bless, and he will be a blessing. You know, if our attitude and our heart is towards Israel to be a blessing, despite right now they're in the land in complete unbelief, nevertheless, God has brought them, you know. He, if he's not faithful to them to keep this covenant, well, why should he be faithful to me and you? You know, they blew it, well, so do we, right? Israel, then why, why should I expect him to be faithful to me? You know, First Timothy 2.13 says, even if we are faithless, it says he remains faithful. Why? Well, because he can't deny himself. You know, no matter what we do, he's still going to be on the throne. You know, some people say they don't believe in God, you know, and I think, well, that doesn't change the fact that he is. What you believe doesn't establish him. You know, when people say they believe some of the stuff that's in the Bible, well, that's not what you're believing. You're believing the author of the Bible who wrote his word. And uh, it's all of the Bible, 100%. Um, verses 7 through 11, after the Lord has established now his covenant with Isaac, the men of the place asked about his wife. And here we go again, same story, remember Abraham? Um, and, and said, she's my sister, uh, for he was afraid to say she is my wife because he thought lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah because she's beautiful to behold. And when it came to pass, he'd been there a long time. Abimelech sees them, finds out that they're, uh, indeed, it's obvious to him, he says, that, that uh, she is his wife. And um, he said, now notice he says, what are you trying to do to us? I could have died. Now, where did he get that from? Well, remember the dream that he had with Abraham when uh, uh, Sarah was taken into his house? And before he had taken her to himself, the Lord appeared to him in a dream, absolutely terrified. In fact, what do you say? He says, you're a dead man. Just plain and simple, you're a dead man. He remembered that. This is how many years, decades later, 40, 50 years later, and Isaac's bringing Rebekah, and uh, nevertheless, Abimelech, still king of the Philistines, knows that this is serious business. Um, only this time, he doesn't, give gifts and, and redeem. You know, God didn't say anything to him this time. He just remembers what God said to him last time. And the, uh, the sin of, that would have, he said that would have brought guilt upon them and they would die for that. Well, not to besmirch Abraham and Isaac too much because when you're sojourners in a land and you're traveling around all these heathen nations, you know, who knows if some of these guys wouldn't have killed him for whatever, his wife or, or whatever goods. Um, back when Abraham and Sarah went to dwell in Gerar, uh, Abimelech was much younger, took him to his house. Um, and it was when he was told by God that he's a prophet. And if he prays for you, then uh, you won't die. And Abraham did pray for him, and his, his household was, his wife was healed, and his all the households that had been barren because he had taken her into his house. Now, after that famine, Abraham moves away to, to Mamre, back to the Oaks of Mamre, and increases in animals and servants and wealth. Well, this time, they see Rebekah. They start asking about her. And so Isaac does the same thing as his father, only this time Abimelech sees them, remembers what happened. Now, he charges all of his men and say, do not touch her, fearing that he would die. And indeed, you know, God does take adultery very seriously uh, to this day. Hebrews 13.4 says God will judge adulterers. 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 6 verses 9 through 11, it says uh, adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, and then, uh, you know, 
what it says, though, in 1 Corinthians 9 through 11. Verse 7 says, well, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Yes, adultery is a sin, and yes, there's penalty to pay and, and all, but and such were some of us, and yet we're washed in him. And so, yes, it says they will not inherit the kingdom. It's serious business. But then, you know, you come to the Lord, you come to Jesus, and you're washed and you're cleansed. Back in Genesis verse, uh, chapter 26, verses 12 through 22, well, Isaac's becoming wealthy. Remember, it says that uh, he planted a crop and he got a hundredfold the first year. Well, the, the, the uh, Philistines are looking on this. They're seeing all this. Um, you know, it goes back because uh, uh, verse 22, he moved from there, dug another well, and they did not quarrel. Or verse 12, I got there a little quick. Um, Isaac sowed in the land, hundredfold, they began to prosper. These guys are noticing it. He had flocks, possessions, uh, herds, a great number of servants. Now it says the Philistines envied him. After Abraham had died um, much earlier, now the Philistines lived with him, you know, in peace. In fact, Abimelech at the time told uh, Abraham, you know, choose whatever land you want, whatever pleases you, dwell here. And so he dwelt in Gerar, which is uh, there. And so that's where Isaac is. But since Abraham had died, the Philistines plugged up all the, all the wells. You know, we don't want people coming around here by us, looking for water and kind of, you know, pushing in on us. And so he, after he dies, they fill in uh, the wells that he had dug. And, but Isaac has many animals, and he's got many servants. Requires much water. And, um, you know, some of these servants and all and animals were certainly passed down from his father, who had great wealth, and he inherited everything. Um, but he had begun to reopen the wells that his father had dug, and the Philistines were seeing all this. They're seeing his prosperity. They're seeing his might and all of these servants, all these animals, and they start to envy. Now, God does show his blessing on Abraham. He does show the Philistines. They're seeing all this. And now Isaac is being blessed. God shows his blessings on that land of Israel and does promote jealousy among provoke jealousy among the rest of the world. I mean, it's to this day some of the most brilliant people and some of the most uh, advanced technologies are, are they, the Jews come up with these things. And um, the Lord has just blessed them and given them that. Um, and so all through history, uh, Israel and the surrounding nations around Israel had known that they were blessed. And now also God chose to put his name there. You know, and we see how Abimelech comes to to make a deal here in a little bit. But he knows, um, he chose to put his name there. And so that all the world would know that the Messiah will come out of Israel. And everybody knows that there's false gods and false religions all over the planet. But the Bible says that, that he has put his law on our hearts Every human being, until, they're, until they harden their heart and, and sear their consciences, has that knowledge and, and knows that he indeed brought his Messiah. And, uh, and they know that it came through Israel 2,000 years ago. So even despite, though, uh, the Lord has brought him back in these last days, despite their unbelief and back in his faithfulness, and soon that veil that's over their eyes will be lifted, and they will mourn for Jesus, the Messiah, their Messiah, as they, as they would mourn for their own son. But God blessed Isaac and Gerar, and the Philistines were envious and started filling in the, way, in the, in the wells to try and push Isaac away. And so when Isaac's herdmen, herdsmen would come to water these animals, they saw the, what they had done, and fights and quarrels break out. Abimelech supposedly didn't know that his men had stopped up the wells. Remember, he told Abraham, he says, I didn't know. They, you know. And now he just chooses, chooses to ignore it. In fact, it's a little bit misleading later on when he says, hey, we sent you out in peace. Really? 
uh, four wells it took them to dig before they quit pushing them out. Um, Phicol, the same commander of Abimelech's armies, is still there. And he's with Abimelech when Abraham rebuked him for taking his well. That's Genesis chapter 21 a few weeks ago. Abimelech now tells Isaac to go away from them because he's much mightier than them. And so he camps as far as the valley of Gerar. So you got Gerar and then right next to it, it's obviously the valley, reopens another one of the wells. Again, the Philistines see it, push him away. So he names it Esek, which means quarreling. Then he goes uh, and digs another well and uh, moves down some more and they leave and um, they also come again, quarrel, and push him out farther. He names that one called Sitna. And because Sitna means the quarreling just keeps on going, uh, continues on. And then he moves again and digs another well. And they finally leave him alone. And so he names it Rehoboth, which means wide places. And the name Rehoboth, it means there's plenty, plenty of room. Um, where, where, in other words, he finds wide open spaces, and he says where he can now be fruitful. He goes back to Beersheba, close by, where Abraham had made that covenant with Abimelech about the well, and where Abraham had planted oak trees, and he calls on the name of the Lord, and he calls on his name, he says, the everlasting God. And again, now, again in this chapter, God a second time appears to Isaac. After all this quarreling, after all this struggling, he appears to Isaac as he um, did with Abraham. And he says, fear not. Um, in other words, they may push you around while you sojourn here, but don't be afraid because I've still made my covenant with you. I will still bless you and your descendants. And Isaac builds an altar there like his father, and he worships the Lord. He calls on the Lord. And his servants had dug another well there, and now Abimelech comes and sees that God is with Isaac. You know, he didn't necessarily see that when he started pushing him out of the land, but he sees now he's been blessed. He sees plainly, it says he sees that God is with him. And um, so he wants to get an oath with Isaac. He's become mighty. He doesn't want to mess with him. He doesn't want to take the chance of him coming, so he makes an oath. And... Uh, Again, notice he says, you know, we've sent you out of peace. And I don't know what kind of peace he was talking about, all these guys stopping up the wells and quarreling. And you know they had to know about it. Abimelech and Phicol was the commander of all these men. And, um, you know, they certainly knew what was going on with all of this as he keeps getting pushed along because, you know, Abimelech sent them off in the first place. Um, and so he's kind of revising the history a little bit there. And you know, that's serious because you plug up a well after Isaac's servants bring all these animals to, to get water and they get there and it's plugged up and there's quarreling, you're going to lose some animals. You've got to go find water someplace. So this is, this is serious. It's not just something. He, he's doing Isaac some harm. Um, but nevertheless, Isaac wants to have this oath. He makes a feast and then in the morning, they get up, they make that oath. But how does Isaac have the confidence to do this? Well, because he knows God's with him. God assured him again, remember, after, after that. He says, you know, I have made my covenant with you and with your descendants. Isaac is glad he has peace with his neighbors, and he makes an oath. And by an oath, he's glad to, to do that, to, to make a promise to these guys, not to do them harm. And indeed, the same day then goes and provides, God goes and provides water as the servants come up to tell him, you know, we were digging a well, and sure enough. And so he names that place Sheba, and that Sheba just means oath, where they took that oath, and, and that town then later became Beersheba. So Abraham and Isaac were sojourners. They lived in tents. They did not displace any of their neighbors. There was enough free space, obviously, in the land of Canaan at the time that a famine would come up and they'd go off to Egypt or they'd go off to, this time they'd go off to uh, the land of the Philistines. But then they get pushed back and pushed back. They find wells and all. But remember Abraham? Abraham had allies that he went with uh, to go chase down Lot and bring them back to, to Sodom. 
You know, it says Abraham had allies. He lived in peace. He was blessed and he was a blessing to those around him. The same is true here. Isaac lives in peace now, whether he, through making an oath or whether through just making allies or just getting along with those in the land. He's a sojourner. He's not building cities at this time. He's not, uh, you know, building houses. And we saw how they will inherit that when they come back and the land is given. But for now, they're sojourners. They're, they're pilgrims. They dwelt in tents. You know, Jacob, who also became Israel, and his 12 tribes, they went to Egypt. And not until after 400 years in Egypt would they return to inherit the promised land and drive out the heathen nations. And like God said, it was that sin that would be mature, that would be complete, that would be full. And it would take 400 years that they would be in slavery and be you know, dwelling again as sojourners and not in their own land at all while they were down in Egypt for 400 years. All that while, the sin of the land that they were going to come and possess was becoming complete. It was becoming mature. The practices of the idols and the false gods that they would worship was horrifying. The things that they would do to their children, the things that they would do to each other. And um, indeed, sin was horrifying. And when God finally could bring them back and displace them out of the land... So they were sojourners living in tents. The land was not their home yet. Their ex, their, the eternal context for, for all this is back in Hebrews 11, if you want to turn there. And we've been here a number of times as we go through teaching about, studying about Abraham and Isaac. Went here when talking about Sarah. Because it is the, the eternal context for all this. Remember the Old Testament was written for our instruction. These things are given as an example for us and uh, that we might, uh, we might know our God and live accordingly. Um, we know who he is by all of this. And so in verses uh, 13 through 16, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, they didn't call it home. They didn't start building houses and building cities and, and putting walls around their cities and, and living there. They were sojourners. We, too, are pilgrims and sojourners while we're here. You know, this is not where we're building our eternity, where we're building our kingdom. I didn't even think of it studying for all this, but what comes to mind is the whole um, kingdom now theology that's out there, where we need to take this world back and because until we get this whole thing ready to go for Jesus, he can't come back. This world is not his kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world. Go to First Peter uh, chapter 2, 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the stole, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And like Abimelech, they'll look at you and they'll say, you know what, I know God's with them. I don't like it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, speak evil of them. But nevertheless, when the Lord appears, because we dwelt here as pilgrims and sojourners among them as unto the Lord, then when the time comes, when he comes, They'll have no choice but to glorify God. Jesus talks about not making this world your home because his kingdom is not of this world. And so he says, seek and set your mind on things above, not on earth, not on the things of this world. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on the earth where moth and rust can corrupt. Jesus prayed for us. If you want to turn to John 17, it's such a comfort to know that he prays for us. 
because, you know, we pray and um, the Holy Spirit helps us in how we should pray. But um, he is right there with the Father praying for us on our behalf. 17, just verses 13 through 19. Um, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. You know, Jesus prayed for us. We are in the world, he says, but we're not of the world. But we do have his word. We do have his joy. He keeps us from the evil one. He sets us apart from the world with what? With the truth, he says. That's how we're set apart. That's how we're sanctified. You know, set, a, set apart from the world, set apart from our old lives. Uh, not that we're out of the world, but so that we have the truth. And we are then, because of that, we can, he sends us into the world. He says in verse 20, He says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He sends us into the world with his word, with the truth, that those who hear us will believe. And he's praying for them. Well, that's all I got for tonight. Application for us is we're pilgrims, we're sojourners. Until we go to be with him, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word again and keeps us focused and keeps our eyes on you, keeps our eyes on things to come. And Lord, we do have to get up in the morning. We've got to go to our jobs. We've got to uh, uh, do the things that you've given us to do, the, the ministries you've given us, whether it's taking care of our families and providing for our families or, or reaching out and uh, going to our jobs and, and reaching out to our coworkers. Whatever you have us doing, Lord, until you come, I pray we just be found doing those things, being faithful in those things that you've given us to do and those talents that you've given and trusted to us. Lord, that we could just be bearing fruit and until you come. So we lift that up to you. We ask again that you'd uh, bless your word, that it would go out and accomplish all that you desire to do. In Jesus' name, amen.